0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to another exciting episode of Standing Post. I'm your host, Cody Starkin, and I'm here to take you on my journey to learn more and more about the Secret Service each month. And for this month's episode, we have Special Agent in Charge of former President Jimmy Carter's protection detail on the phone from Plains, Georgia, to discuss what he and his team does for the former president. Please welcome to the show, Special Agent in Charge, Michael Swangler. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you, you know, having a conversation with me about the, the topic today and what we're uh, discussing. But before we get into that, can you introduce yourself to the listeners?
1: Yeah, thanks, Cody. Yeah, my name is uh, Mike Swangler, and I'm the Special Agent in Charge at the Carter Protection Detail down in Plains, Georgia.
0: And where do you call home?
1: Well, I was born and raised in Trent, New Jersey, and I still call New Jersey kind of home for me. Um, My wife and I both own a home in Maryland, where I've done a few assignments in D.C., but I currently rent a home in America's Georgia. Uh, Probably a lot of people have never even heard of that town, but but that's where I live for my current assignment here at the Carter Protective Division.
0: And actually, before we, um, again, before we start, I found that kind of being something interesting. and. Uh, I wanted to know: Is it is it something where you find often that Secret Service agents will actually run a home for just a an a temporary assignment?
1: You know, that's an interesting question, Cody, and it all depends on the individual and, you know, what their family's needs are. Some some folks say, I'm going to take this assignment. I know I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to call that home uh, for very long, so they'll rent. And then, of course, the market drives that as well. So I guess it's kind of the personal need of of uh, your family. And if you have a large family, if it's just you and your wife, if it's just you and you have multiple children, I guess that all depends on, on all of those factors.
0: Okay, and everybody kind of has a a starting story before they joined the Secret Service. I'm finding out a lot. we get different walks of life, just different people from different places, from large towns, small towns, big cities, and things like that. Uh, What did you do before joining the Secret Service?
1: Well, I told you I was born and raised. I went to college everywhere in New Jersey, and then I uh, went in the Marine Corps. I was in the Marine Corps on active duty for about 10 years. I actually served the first four years of uh, my career on uh, HMX. That's the uh, Presidential Helicopter Squadron that's out of Quantico, Virginia. I was there during President Reagan and President Clinton's administrations. That's a a long time ago. Uh, I also served for a year in the Pentagon, as well as five years as a criminal investigator Hmm. in Quantico, Virginia, as well.
0: Well, I'm kind of, is this how, before you got into the Secret Service, this is kind of How you come to find out about it, uh, about the organization or the agency is serving in the Marines?
1: Yeah, well, for me it was. I mean, uh, I knew about the Secret Service long before that, and I know our recruiting uh, staff at headquarters does a really good job at messaging that out as well. We, because we get folks from all kinds of uh, all walks of life, and that's that's what makes us special in the Secret Service. That we get folks from all different education levels and backgrounds and and and, and uh, pieces of experience. You know, I was in the military. A lot of guys are. Some guys were local cops. Other guys, you know, did uh, came out of the education. Uh, so, we just get uh, it 's nice having that nice blend. I think that 's what makes the Secret Service a great place to work
0: and i 'm sorry to put you on the spot here, but do you have any memories or any um, things you 'd like to share with the listeners during your time in the in the marines
1: you know i'll tell you um, back when I was in the Marine Corps. Um, you had to come on. You know, things have changed. Now, now uh, folks are actually doing 20 years of a career, and they can retire and come in. When I came on, I came on in 1997. That was not the case. I still have the letter from the uh, former director, Merletti. Uh, telling the Commandant of the Marine Corps that I couldn't be in the active reserves because I was joining the Secret Service. So it was a different world then. So my ten years of active duty, obviously I bought that back, but I would have stayed in the Marine Corps and it was the you know, the Secret Service was my ultimate goal and that's why I actually got out of active duty.
0: Okay. And so and yeah. what Okay, yeah. Um and so why the Secret Service? Like why was that specific or why did you choose to join this agency?
1: Well, I'll tell you, Cody, the question should be why not the Secret Service, because, you know, our organization is made up of some of the most dedicated men and women I've ever had the pleasure to work with. You know, some of the worst places on Earth that you can travel with the Secret Service (laughs) can end up being just great trips because of the the folks that you're with and just makes it a good time. So, even when you think, oh my goodness, we're in the middle of nowhere and it's horrible and we can't eat the food and, you know, people are getting sick just from brushing your teeth with the water, Mm. they could be great trips just because Uh, like i said of the men and women that we have around us
0: and there's and again i'm always curious about why people choose the path they did and how they kind of find out about the secret service and how they they come to start working here so again you you already said why the secret service so i guess my next question is is why did you want to become a special agent
1: yeah, well, you know, for me, uh that was the only vision I had. I was uh when I was very young, when I was in the 7th grade, I always loved the secret service even then. Uh that's when uh, there was the uh assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan. Mm. I read all the books, I saw all the movies. It's, it's what I always wanted to do. And, you know, my lifelong uh love of coin collecting and currency also boosted my interest. I've been collecting coins and currency since I was 10 years old, and I just love uh, dealing with the money and, that, and you know being that financial edge of what the Secret service was on top of, uh, even back, I love hearing the old secret service stories. You should research some of them mm-hmm. back in the 1800s when we were doing these old coin cases, the art of actually making the money, whether it's real or otherwise, I just I, I just have a fascination about it.
0: Okay, so I have to ask then, um, favorite book or movie that um, that you found on the Secret Service?
1: Oh, I love, uh, you know, i got to tell you, I love In the Line of Fire, but I love the old Ronald Reagan ones, though, uh, Secret Service of the Air. Mm -hmm. They were made in the 50s, and a lot of people have never even heard of them, but there's some really great old classics out there that you can read.
0: Okay, and then my next question uh, to follow up is uh, the best coin that you have. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this this one...
1: I, uh, so I'm, I'm a little crazy with buying the coins, mm-hmm. so I actually own an 1856 Flying Eagle pattern. I paid uh, about $30,000 for it a few mm-hmm. years ago, okay. and everybody always says, you paid $30,000 for a penny? And I say, yes, I did, but you know, it's, it, the, the prices of those go up astronomically over, over a few years, but I love the engraving and the artistic knowledge that goes into actually producing a coin.
0: Oh, absolutely, and that I mean, if it means something to you, obviously, you know that there's it doesn't matter what the cost is. So I mean, no, it's that's awesome. I'm because that's one of the things that I've uh, learned um, going through the Secret Service is the, like the like on both sides of it of how to make the coin that you have the people that do it the right way and do it legally um, and producing these coins and the art of making the the mint uh, to to stamp the coins and then like learning also too the criminals out there do the same thing where are going through the same process albeit it might be a little bit harder but learning how they actually do uh the molding and um the stamping process so that they can make the counterfeit so
1: oh sure i mean but you know again coin coin counterfeiting and altering of a coin was done uh, uh so often many years ago when we actually had gold and silver coins circulating mm. obviously um but you know nowadays there still is uh, there still are the evildoers evil doers that will um, that will manipulate coins for the numismatic value. You know, you take a, you know, I know we're getting into the weeds of this stuff, but if you take a simple coin and change its mint mark, it could be worth thousands of dollars. To, you know, in the right circulating coin. Mm. So we, you do have a lot of fakes out there in the coin collecting world now. Not so much in commerce, but uh, but definitely in the numismatic world of coin collecting. Yes. I love. I've been. I've been a master numismatic for, for, for years. I've been doing it since I was ten, and I love it. Yeah. But you know, it's
0: funny. Did you, did you ever hear the term?
1: Uh, you ever hear the term when somebody says, "Hey, I'm just joshing you"? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. You know. That's a Secret Service term, right? I do not. Yeah. So in 18. So this is an interesting story. I see you got me talking about coins now. <laughs> in in, uh, in 1883, we came out with the V nickel. It was a nickel with just a Roman numeral V on the on the side for five. Okay. So they didn't have the word cents underneath it. So a guy named Josh Tatum started dipping them in coin, and he re- would read the edges, and he would be passing them as five dollar pieces. Mm. The Secret Service arrested him. At trial, he had said he um, uh, he was I believe he was a deaf mute. He was hard of hearing, and he said. I never, I, I was just doing it as a joke, and they were accepting it. So that's where the term joshing you comes from. I'm just joshing you. His name was Josh Tatum.
0: Oh, man. now See, I'm learning something new every day. Thank you. No, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But people say it all the time, and I was like, hey, did you know that's a Secret Service related term? <laughs> and nobody ever knows that. So anyway, I'm sorry. I get off. Don't get me crazy. Don't you get me started.
0: That's okay. Um, if I can find room here on the podcast, I'll let them know that they heard it here first. <laughs> That's right. Um, Mike, we have you on as the first special agent in charge of a former president's detail here on the show. And I was hoping maybe you can go through some of the, the general concepts, the roles, uh, what you do, and what the special agents that are assigned under you uh, do in this detail.
1: Yeah, sure. Like any other OPO SAC, um, uh, you know, I ensure the overall safety of our protectees, and we have two here. We have obviously Mr. and Mrs. Carter, as well as a smooth operation of of uh, all the uh, security measures that are in place, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Just like every other detail. I also take care to ensure all of our personnel remain compliant with all of our training policies, procedures, and, and you know, and the like. Those the, those issues. But I'm also responsible to coordinate and deconflict directly with our protectees, you the Carter Center, the President's staff. Uh, the President's very active in the church, so we we're very we we work very closely with the church members, the Park Service who oversee the maintenance of the compound, because this is already a uh, national historic site, mm-hmm. and I believe president carter is the first president ever to reside outside of the white house at a national historic site
0: that's i i didn't know that like as far as did he i guess to help me understand this is he did he put in or did somebody state that that was a, becoming a national park like who do you know who goes about doing that um
1: yeah i think he already um i'm sorry to interrupt you Cody, no? but uh, so he already gave the property. He already donated his home, his boyhood farm, and the current property where we're sitting at, where I'm sitting at right now, calling you from, as uh, a national historic site. So the Park Service literally owns the property where we're all sitting down here, including the President and, and Mrs. Carter's home, and they take care of all the grounds, the outside. Um, but but we uh, because they're still they're still uh, living in the home, the Secret Service is still responsible for. Um, securing it, and we do. We have the big fence around there. And oddly enough, the uh, the uh, the wrought iron fence we have around this compound, mm-hmm. I was told, was was brought from um, Nixon's compound. Okay. So I guess we were making really good use of uh, of our resources.
0: So if I'm a special agent, when's the first opportunity that um, I can apply or bid for um, this type of detail that you're a part of?
1: Oh sure, uh, you know the, the needs of the service will always lend a hand in that decision. But basically, after an agent completes their phase one assignment, uh, OPO will coordinate with INV and some of the other divisions to push manpower into their phase two. Um, additionally, a phase two agent, once they've completed four years on another phase two assignment like PPD and or VPD uh they can opt in to come to a former detail for an additional 4 years. I have a great mix here by the way in planes of personnel who have come directly from phase 1 assignment as well as I have former PPD folks and former VPD folks. I also have agents, TLEs and APTs that have transferred from other former details to include Ford, Reagan, Bush 41 and Bush 43. So we have a nice mix of folks that have come from all all sides of the protection world.
0: And so this this type of protection uh, post presidency wasn't always around. Uh, added on to our, our basically our responsibilities later after we took on the protection of the president, I believe uh, uh, back when uh, President McKinley was assassinated. Do you mind kind of going through the history a little bit and kind of the legislation that was created to uh, start this type of protection detail?
1: Sure, yeah. Uh, former presidents, uh, it was the former presidents act of 1958 that formally provided the lifetime benefit to uh, presidents. And at that time in 1958, we had, uh, presidents Hoover, Truman, and Eisenhower. So they were the first three to benefit to the lifetime protection. Uh, that protection was reduced to 10 years in 1994 with a law that passed during the Clinton administration. However, it was reversed back to lifetime with another law that was enacted in uh, 2013. So we've had no president since 1958 uh, on Ford that has never had lifetime protection, and I and generally I, I agree with that that process as well.
0: Okay, and do you un- understand what the the reasons were for reducing it down to 10 years and then back?
1: No, that was, it. That, was, uh, that was the 1994, even before I came on. I know it was done during the Clinton administration. I'm sure it was a cost thing that said, hey, listen, after 10 years, why, why do they need it? And um, I think they figured out really quickly that each each of those presidents would need lifetime protection for their entire life. They're recognized everywhere they go. And, and it doesn't matter who they are or what they've done. Somebody will always recognize them, and the United States can have them being placed in harm's way after that, and the Secret Service is proud to be a part of that mission.
0: Uh, Mike, are you able to explain some of the, I, I guess, compared to Presidential uh, Protection Division that currently protects President Trump and the VP's detail with Vice President Pence, can you go in with some of the differences between what you do and what those details do?
1: Oh, yeah. No no problem. Um, it's actually not as many differences as you think you know obviously the former uh, the current president rather and the current vice president they were going to traditionally demand more of our manpower and support but each division trains and operates in similar ways uh, that's why somebody can transfer from the vice president's detail to the president's detail, to former Obama, to former Clinton. It doesn't really matter. Uh, each division has you know, different, uh, little differences that comes with the environment or the lifestyles of their protectees, but, but for generally speaking, we all train. We all do things exactly the same way, and there's a reason for that. And I think it, it, because it comes second nature. We don't treat any protectee any different. There's little nuances. Obviously, down here, I'm in southern Georgia. We get a lot of tornadoes. I have to, you know, worry about that more so in my my plans than maybe Sack Wood does up in uh, Clinton. He doesn't. He probably doesn't have to worry about uh, tornadoes as much as I do. But I'm sure <laughs> he and the other former sacks have other priorities that make it higher on their list and things that may not be as important to me. You know, whether they're protectees or, or, or active, more active than mine is or not. Um, but but the basic concept of protect protection never changes.
0: If you had to like relocate uh, like your base of operations because on a whim they or not on a whim they just kind of say okay well I want to move here because I kind of want to uh, live out the rest of my life at this location is that something that has to go into your security and planning and protection?
1: yeah Cody, that you know, that's an interesting question and one that's been at the heart of, of a lot of work life balance issues for our personnel in the Secret service, but it 's a part of our life in the Secret Service. Our headquarter components work tirelessly to make those moves as painless as possible for employees and their families you know obviously i don't have to worry about that down here. Uh, you know President Carter was born, he was raised and continues to enjoy Plains, Georgia, and he has no plans on going anywhere
0: so what can you talk about that? You feel that separates you from the other former presidential details with President Carter?
1: Yeah, yes. Um, CPD is facing an incredible uh, landmark this January. Uh, the Carter Protection Division is going to mark its 40th anniversary. Since President Carter has left the White House in January of 1981 when PPD became CPD after he uh, walked out of the uh, Oval Office for the last time. And I believe that President Mrs. Carter holds the record now for having the longest relationship with us. It's been a wonderful journey, I think, for them and for the Secret Service as well.
0: Now, are you guys, uh, is the detail planning anything for that or are you able to speak on any ceremonies or celebrations you may be having?
1: Oh, we're certainly going to mark the. Uh, we're going to mark the issue. Uh, I think they've created a new coin that's going to be coming out. It's going to be available uh, marking the 40th anniversary because it's. We, I've gone back. I've gone back in my in my mind as far as I can, and we've never had a former president and first lady um, so long after they left office as as the Carters do. And it's it's an interesting and it's a wonderful relationship we have with them. And I think we will mark it. We will, we will we'll have some celebrations. You know, we'll cook out here, and uh, we, we throw little parties all the time, and we we'll make sure we bring them a little bit of that food <laughs> when we make it here. They, they enjoy that from us as well.
0: Do you enjoy uh, Plains, uh, Georgia? Is there something that you could describe about it that kind of would paint a picture for the listeners?
1: Well, I'll tell you, uh, Plains, Georgia uh, is a wonderful, wonderful place. Let me just say that at first. Having said that, I will tell you that I am a fish out of water, being from, you know, the city and in New Jersey, and uh, I used to uh, uh, tell folks that I don't know why anybody would want to be from the South, (laughs) and it's a a wonderful place down here. I'll tell you, uh, when I first met President Carter, when I got here, the staff had told him ahead of time a little bit about me and a little bit about my... Uh, you know, where I'm from and that I, that I don't like grits and things of that nature. And he quickly joked with me, he said, I'm going to have you wearing cowboy boots and eating grits in no time. And I said, Mr. President, uh, we can just agree to disagree on that matter. But uh, it's a great place. To, uh, it's, it's wonderful. Everyone around here, it's it's that small town feel. Everybody knows everybody. The church groups, the folks that, that do all the, the um the, the wonderful social events uh, around, in and around Plains, Georgia are always very, very nice to us. And they love the Secret Service. And I was very impressed with that because when I got here, I didn't know what to expect, Cody. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, the men and women that came before me over this past 40 years have obviously done a wonderful job in keeping up the great relationship the Secret Service has with us because I have found, I have not talked to one top deacon in the church. Uh, detective, or any local in Plains, Georgia that has one ill thing to say about the Secret Service, they love the they love the Carters and they love the Secret Service.
0: So if I go to Plains, Georgia, what is the first thing you think I should do?
1: Everybody talks about. Um, you know what the, it, the best thing here is—they have peanut ice cream. Mm. And uh, I resisted that for a while, and I finally tried it because I just thought it would be too heavy of a taste of a peanut. And it is incredibly delicious, very smooth. There's a very small downtown here in Plains. Uh, you drive through. There's no stoplight. If you blink, you kind of miss it. It looks like an old western town. We are surrounded by cotton and peanut farms, and. Um, uh, there's a, a couple little shops and that's about it. They have a train that comes in the tours that comes from some of these surrounding cities. A lot of school children come in. They learn about uh, his boyhood farm, his presidency. They actually turned his high school into a museum that the Park Service runs. It's a wonderful museum, in fact. And I was joking with the superintendent of the Park Police that they need to do a 40th anniversary. They need to do a Secret Service display for us there. And mm. and uh, she said, absolutely, if you want to help us with that, we can, we can do that for you. So it's a wonderful place to visit. It's just tough to get to. It, it's one of those places that we used to describe as you can't get there from here.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> No, fair enough. Um, and, uh, that definitely, it uh, sounds like a box I need to check to at least, um, you know, experience those that the like the ice cream and just seeing what the town's all about. So, no, thank you for describing yep. that. So, I guess uh, my other question too uh, that I have because of you know you being the first one here on the show um, and your particular role and responsibility is, well, I guess at the end of the day. The Secret Service has to maintain their professionalism. You know, we have a job to do to protect those we're sworn to protect. And oftentimes, you know, relationships still can um, form. And I wanted to ask if you were able to share any memories or things that's special about President Carter um, and with your interactions between you two or with your team, if you're able to share share any anecdotes about um, things that have happened in the past with um, you interacting with him.
1: Yeah, well, you know, uh, most recently, at uh, the, the very beginning of the COVID pandemic, um, when, when businesses were still open, activities were still uh, going on here. It was one of the last times that we were driving the church and uh, I, I, I turned around and I told the former first couple I said, uh, I said sir, and, and ma'am, I said we're, we're not going to allow you, uh, anybody to shake your hand today." Because when they come to church, there at the end of the church service, uh, the president every week without fail he will he will sit there and Miss Rosalind will sit next to him, and they will take pictures with all the guests that have come to church. And crowds come to the Plains Church here hmm. uh, to uh, to hear the mass and 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 take pictures with the president. And I said, you know this 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 uh this covid thing is going on and uh we don't want you uh shaking hands with anybody today and he he immediately fired back at me and said mike well that's why they come to church they come to meet me <laughs> and uh, obviously he was joking of course and and he did comply though but both both the president and Mrs. Carter, they uh, understand the dangers of this COVID. They know that they're in um, uh, they're they're the high risk uh, personnel that are dealing with the COVID, and they've been very good about uh, you know they want to stay on on the compound and they're not going anywhere. and And it's been uh, good for us as well to keep all of our uh, men and women safe as well.
0: I also know that um, former President Carter was a bit of a humanitarian, and I believe he he worked on such. Um, worked with certain uh, organizations like habitat for Humanity have you or any of the teams participated in any of the his um, into any of his uh, humanitarian projects
1: oh well, sure over, over the over the many years that he's been uh, part of that I think he became part of habitat uh, just before he left the presidency so I think it was 76 or 77 um, uh, our personnel here have witnessed countless humanitarian projects that, that he's been involved in, especially with the habitat projects, obviously, in building the homes. Uh, some of our folks have even participated in their off time, which is perfectly fine to do. Uh, the environment that President, uh, President Carter creates here, it's, it's very contagious. He's, he's one of those uh, very genuine people that just cares. He wants to get out and meet the folks. He wants to participate in building these homes. Uh, he, he makes sure people are doing the job right. It can be very tough if you're not doing it the right way, uh, but but absolutely, it's 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 a wonderful environment to be around him when he's when he's in that mode.
0: And do you have any like any personal or memorable stories that you have uh, with working with him?
1: Well, you know, uh, the Secret Service uh, uh, in OPO especially, we try to keep the secret in Secret Service. You know, we want to keep our protectees' personal lives uh, private. But I can tell you that we the Secret Service continue to enjoy the full trust and confidence of, of the former president and Mrs. Rosalind, um, Mrs. Carter just told me, uh, you know, they come out for a walk a few times a day, and we walk with them. Um, she just told me a few weeks ago that that she and the president include the Secret Service each night in their prayers, mm. and I thought that was very nice. I, I would tell you that, and I'm sure this is the same for the Clintons and Obamas and Bushes, and that they deep down inside, they get busy. There, there, there's um, there's 10,000 people trying to get something from them. They appreciate every single thing that the men and women of the Secret Service do. They know they know we're here 24-7 for them.
0: Mike, I, to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit uh, for the listeners, can you kind of discuss what the day in life is for someone that has to, well, one, be in charge of protecting a former president, but also maybe describe some of the things that that person's team has to go through
1: Sure, as you know, as the special agent in charge of the program here in the division of the Carter Protective Division, you know, like the like the Secret Service, I too have a twofold mission. First, my responsibility to the protectees, right, and then the part that I really enjoy even more, my responsibility to the men and women of CPD. The the guys and gals that are out there doing the frontline work. Uh, I'm honored to have been selected to lead such a great group of men and women here. It's an awesome responsibility and one that I don't take very lightly. Their successes become my successes. I want to do everything I can to ensure their needs are met. Promotions, training, work-life balance, follow-on assignments. Uh, I'm where I want to be so now I can actually use my energy and spend it on those who get the job done for us every day, the dedicated workforce.
0: Now, we had talked about before that, or at least you had mentioned, that a lot of these protection assignments are not necessarily exactly the same, but the processes and the procedures um, to go about your day-to-day business is the same so that it's an easy transfer for an individual to go to different protection details. Is there room to grow or to be able to introduce new ways of doing things that might not necessarily apply today in a sense, or like to be able to improve that protection detail?
1: Oh, well, you know what? That's an interesting question, Cody, but you're going to make me put on my former RTC hat. <laughs> um, I'll tell you, you know, the, the training center, you know, Mr. Ball and, and his entire uh, group of personnel there, There's, they're always looking at innovations. And, and ways to do things better and differently We're always looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying how can we do it better We don't want to wait for a failure till we say well what went wrong how do we fix that We want to fix it now especially with new technologies and, and uh, things changing very very quickly. The secret service the secret service is always trying to stay in the forefront of all of those innovations.
0: And so when you're uh, looking for new special agents to come on to the protection detail, what kind of person does it take to live the life of a special agent protecting a former president?
1: Well, you know, uh, we start this. We start that when we hire folks in the training. We tell them, you know, at their home interview what life is like in the Secret Service. And, you know, they don't have to go out of the way to get to the detail they want to get. All they have to do is just do their job, learn, keep their eyes open, and ask lots of questions. Uh, we have a great leadership Team in the Secret service in every field office and RO and headquarters assignments there's pl- always places to learn and if everybody just does their job and cooperates with each other, um, uh, you can get where you want to get there's, I always tell the, I always tell the, the new agents and new officers come through you, you don't have to go out of your way to get where you want to go you will get where you want to go just do your job the time will come for you
0: and so I'm, I'm an Apt um. I'm always curious about this because if I was not in a position where I was at today, I would I would probably not have an opportunity to understand what you do on a day to day basis. Is there anything else that you want to mention to the workforce that, um, you know, any messages or things that you might want to let us know about, you know, who you are, what your team does? I guess the job that you do. Is there anything that you want to pass on to us? Well,
1: only that I feel truly blessed to have worked and continue to work besides so many of the men and women in the, in the Secret Service over my years here. That goes for agents, uniformed division officers, technical law enforcement, and our, P, and our IPT personnel. Uh, like my comrades-in-arms from my days in the Marine Corps, you become a family. You know, we, we, we share our successes together. We laugh, we cry, we struggle, and we get through the tough times collectively and we share and celebrate all those successes together, just like any other close family does.
0: And for the listeners of the organi- um, listeners of the podcast and those who are just coming on and maybe this is their first episode, is there any um, thoughts or anything that you'd like to let them know about?
1: Well, only then, you know, uh, again, I told you I'm sitting down here in the middle of uh, Plains, Georgia, and I think all the listeners should know that from here, you know, the men and women of CPD have been watching the response the Secret Service has been doing with the COVID pand- pandemic uh, and our adaptation to the to the new normal that we have and our folks on the front lines during this most recent unrest. I am so proud to be a part of this organization. We are so well respected from others who watch in all at a di- distance while we do the work. Um, and I'll tell you, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't have changed a single thing.
0: Special Agent in Charge, Michael Swangler, thank you very much for being on the show and talking to our listeners about what you do and what you do for the organization. Um, I greatly appreciate it.
1: Well, Cody, I appreciate you having me. And believe me, there's an open invitation for you to come down anytime to <laughs> Plains uh, once, once the country opens back up fully and, and try some of that peanut ice cream.
0: want to know more about the Secret Service or how to join, go to www.secretservice.gov. Until next time, listeners, stay vigilant.